Good morning. My name is Keith Kozik, and I'm the director of youth ministries, and I'm also your last substitute teacher for the summer, all right? So Dan will be back here, right here, standing. This. You can give him a big round of applause. I don't know where he is. I scared him off in the first service. Oh, oh look at the sign there over there, the signage over there. That's, 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 a, that's a bit much there. Woo! Hey, listen, if you were my junior high youth pastor, you'd put that up in my interns, so therefore they're just trying to get some brownie points. So nothing wrong with that. So yeah, Dan will be here next week. So let's pray real quick, and then we're going to get into the sermon. So let's pray. God, we are blessed people to be able to come and to worship you, uh, to learn more about you, and to be loved by you. It's, it's pretty amazing who you are, and we just want to thank you for that. So God, I just pray that I would boldly proclaim what you want me to say, and that it would lead to freedom and joy and peace in people's lives. Let it not be my words, let it be yours, and let us leave here changed people. And I pray this all in your precious name, amen. Men. So, several years ago, the go ahead and bring up my first slide. The DC comic people and the Marvel, Marvel comic people decided that they were going to start making their own movies because they just felt like we would have these other people produce movies and they weren't up to par. They weren't how we wanted them to be. You know, they just they couldn't get things right. And so, several years ago, they just decided that they were going to do this. And so, the, this is the Avengers movies. And really, it has paid huge dividends for both of these comic book people. Because th this Marvel Avengers uh, is, the, is the fifth highest grossing movie of all time. And the other uh, Marvel uh, movie as well is the seventh highest grossing movie of all time. They've grossed almost $3 billion combined. Think about it, $3 billion. Of all the top 12 highest grossing movies of all time, the Marvel and DC, the comic books ones, they have four in the top 12, which is pretty incredible because in 10 years ago, they didn't have any of that. And the reason is, is I think that there's a part of us, you know, we grew up, maybe a lot of us reading comic books or, you know, watching things. And we just think, what would it be like to have a superhuman ability? What, like, we like, I think that like, if I had this ability, I would do this work. We just think I, I would cause great things to happen. And so I started to think about what I would look like if I was a superhero. And so go ahead and hit my first slide. And this is me at the beach. <laughs> I wasn't feeling real great that day. But, you know, I was a little bit green. But, no, this is, this is me as Hulk. And, you know, and it'd be fun to smash stuff, wouldn't it? Be? And, and, and cause havoc like that. Go ahead and hit my next one. This is me as the Wolverine. Like, wouldn't that really come in handy when the next time you're trying to cut up your steak or something like that, your chicken, you, just, you know, you just kind of carve that off? It'd be way easier if you do something like that. My next one is me as the philanthropist. Tony Stark, I mean, putting on the suit, flying around, causing all kinds of cool stuff to happen. That would be tremendous, wouldn't it? Be able to, wouldn't it be fun you know, to kind of picture that, like, what would we like to put this on? And this is my personal favorite. This is me as Denny. So, and the, and the best part, right, where is he? Where, like, are you not, he was here the first, uh, the first sermon, he had no idea it was coming. So that was, that was the best part when he was sitting right here. So this is me, because Den's kind of like a superhero. I mean, he drives a Harley, has lots of guns, and helps lots of people. I mean, essentially that's what, you know, a superhero has, you know. But that's what I'm thinking. Like, we would think, I think, if I had all these abilities... I would do all kinds of good things with it. Isn't, isn't that essentially like the childish part of like, I, I want good to happen in the world. I think that's what most of us want. We want good things to happen and we want to cause the world to be a better place. 
And that's why I think all, deep down all of us kind of think, what would it be like to be a superhero? And so t- the, today I want to look at the person who I think is probably the most like a superhero in, in the Bible. And as I thought about it, he, he's probably the most just naturally talented and naturally gifted person in the Bible. And that to me is Samson. I mean, he has this superhuman strength and ability, and really, when you look at him, he's like, he's just really, really talented. I was just thinking, you know, maybe Joseph, maybe Paul um, were more talented than him, but really, I don't know. I think Samson, you can make the, the, the just an incredible argument that he's the strongest, obviously the strongest, but the most naturally talented person in the Bible. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn up to Judges chapter 16, is where we're going to eventually end up. It's going to take me a little bit, and most of us, I think, if you know the story of Samson, we know about his strength, we know about him and Delilah, but there's a little bit more to him than that, and so it's going to take me a little bit of, you know, backtracking, just so you get the idea, and I can lay this all out. So I want you in Judges 16, but I'm actually going to start in Judges 13. And Samson was not your ordinary child. He was born out of promise, his mother couldn't have kids, and then God miraculously made it so that she could. And most people, older in life, if they were followers of God, some of that's not most people. A lot of people, though, would take a Nazarite vow to say that I want to be set apart and dedicated to God completely for my life. But Samson, uniquely, he gets his Nazarite vow before he was even born. Now, so what exactly is a Nazarite vow? And go ahead and bring this up. And it consists of three things. The first one is that he would drink no wine or other fermented drink. He would not consume alcohol or anything like that. He was going to be set apart and not do those things for God. The second thing is he would not to become ritually impure by contacted with corpses or graves or even those of close, of close family members. So when people died, he wasn't allowed to go around them. When corpses were there, when, when animals died, he wasn't supposed to go around them because he would become ceremonially unclean. And so his whole life, he was to depart and not, not to go around those things. And the last one is what most of us, if we know the Samson story, know, is that no, no razor was ever to be used on his head. His hair was to just keep growing and growing and growing. So those are the three parts of the Nazarite vow, very important. And I wanted to read this verse. This is Judges 13, 5. It says, The boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated from God from the womb. He will take and lead in the delivering of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. This is why he's taken this vow, and this is why God has given him such superhuman, almost, abilities. It's because he is supposed to lead in the delivering of the hands of the Philistines. Keep that in the back of your head, because we're going to come back to this, okay? So the story picks up in chapter 14, and Samson is, is coming of age. And I'm going to screw up the, the, uh, the camera here, so just look at me, all right? Just look at this beautiful body right here. So not like Hulk, but you know, hey. And so what happens is Samson's coming of age, and so he decides that he wants to go and try to find someone to be his wife. And so he kind of looked, and he's a Jew, and he's looked among the Israeli women, and just he wasn't finding anyone that he, he really found attractive or that special. So he goes and he finds this Philistine woman. There's just one problem. The Philistines are the enemies of God. And then the Philistines and the Jews, they're always constantly in conflict. And in fact, his mother and father say to him, are you sure you want to marry this woman? Because look, here's the deal. Like, you know, you're not supposed to. I mean, it says that, you know, you're not supposed to be marrying outside the tribe. Why would you do this? And he says, no, she'll be right for me. And then they're like, all right, go get her for me. That's what he says to her dad. So one day he is kind of courting her, Samson, and he's on his way down to, to go see her again. And a lion jumps out in front of him. It jumps out in front of him, and it says it attacks him, and it says Samson kills him with a, that kills this lion with his bare hands. The Bible says this, the spirit comes powerfully upon him so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. 
I've never even torn a young goat apart. I just want to be honest. I mean, I could picture maybe tearing a young hamster apart or something like that. But like, you know, that'd be. And could you imagine, like, if I tore a young lion apart every time I got up on this platform, I would tell you that story. Like, that would be my over. Did I tell you about the time I tore a young lion apart? But he tears this young lion apart. He's amazing. He doesn't tell anyone. He does, he tears apart, and he, and he goes down, and he hangs out with his, you know, his fiance kind of at this point, and he comes back, and he's looking at it, he's like, I'm going to go check on that dead lion. And he looks at it, and it's full of bees. These bees had kind of made a home in it, and so he's kind of looking at it, he reaches down inside of it and pulls out some honey and starts eating it. Like, that's manly, isn't it? Like, honey, you know, you know what I mean? And so he, he grabs a big wad of it and brings it home and gives some to his parents. Hey, but he doesn't tell them where he gets it. Now, if you were paying, a part or playing, paying attention and paying close attention early on, he broke his Nazarite vow, didn't he? He wasn't supposed to touch dead things. But you're going to see this kind of with his life. He kind of plays fast and loose with a lot of things. And so what happens is his marriage day comes around. And it's not really his marriage day. It's his marriage week. Because that's what would happen, in, you know, back in Israel, back in, you know, the times. And they would have an actual week of a festival. They would party basically for a whole week. And you can imagine, that's why when Jesus turns the water into wine, he's like, most people bust out the cheap wine, or, or, or you know, the good wine, and then go to the cheap wine. But you've saved the best wine for now. Essentially, they would get together for a week, and they would drink a lot of alcohol. And so it's consumed and believed and, you know, people are, you know, a lot of scholars really believe that Samson probably drinks during this time. And there are some other things about this that you need to know about his wedding week is that what happens is when they're drinking, obviously for a week, there are people who are, you know, pretty intoxicated. So what would happen is they would often hire like bodyguards to make sure marauders or raiders wouldn't come down and attack while the wedding party and during, you know, during the whole ceremony or during the whole week of festivities because they could come in and steal money and, and steal the gifts and things like that. So what happened was Samson was assigned 30 bodyguards to make sure that that didn't happen. And so what happens is, is you know, during you know, this, this festival, this week-long you know, wedding celebration, they do what we do whenever we get together and have a good time. They start playing games. And Samson says, hey, listen, guys, I have a riddle for you. And if you can solve this riddle, I will buy all 30 of you, my bodyguards, I will buy you all brand new linen clothes, like a three-piece suit. I'll, I'll buy it all for you. But if you can't solve my riddle, you owe me 30 linen clothes, three three, three pieces. They say, sounds like a good deal. Sounds like a plan. So Samson says to him, he says to him, hey, look, Here's my riddle. This is Judges 14, 14. It says, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. Now, we know the answer to the riddle because I just gave it to you. Out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the, strong, something, out of the strong, something sweet. We know he's talking about lion and honey because I just told you the story. That's, so he makes up this riddle but doesn't really tell anyone that he's done. But he says, hey, listen, this, if you solve my riddle, like I said, 30 close. Well, a couple days go by and they're, you know, they're trying to figure out this riddle and they go to his wife at this point, and they say to him, hey, listen here, wifey, uh, we didn't let you bring, you know, your, 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 you know your, your husband down here to make fools of us. We're not buying him 30 pieces of clothes. You need to figure out what his riddle means. Otherwise, we're going to burn you to death, and we're going to burn your family to death. And so she's freaking out. She's like, what do I do? Oh, my gosh, what do I do? So she does what anybody would do. She goes to Samson and says, Sammy, Sammy, you got to tell me the riddle. Please, 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 just tell me the riddle. 
He's like, I haven't even told my parents. She's like, please, you got to tell me. You got to tell me. And she just nags at him and goes at him. And finally, he's like, all right, I'll tell you the riddle. You know, the answer is lion and honey. Well, the last day of his week-long celebration comes about, and the 30 bodyguards come to him late at night, and they say, all right, well, we think we figured out the riddle. You know, and they answer it, and they say this, and, you know, what's out of the eater something to eat? You know, who eats out of the lion? You know, out of the strong something sweet? What's sweeter than honey? To which he then turns and says to them, if you'd not plowed with my heifer, you would have never figured it out. So let me tell you what that really means. He just called his wife a cow, because that's what a heifer is, okay? And a, and a young heifer is a cow that can't plow. So he just called his wife a useless cow. Fellas, if you want to get your wife mad at you, okay, go call her a useless cow right now. In fact, I, don't do that, all right? And so that's what he says. He says, my useless cow, you know, betrayed me. So rather than going out and buying 30 clothes, he goes down to the next Philist the closest Philistine towns, beats the living tarnation out of 30 guys, grabs all their linen clothes, comes back, throws it at his bodyguards, and heads off for home, leaving his wife. And you think you had a rough start to your marriage, okay? Like, this is like the worst start in the history of the world, right? He leaves her down there. And then sometime later, it says that it's harvest time, and, you know, he comes to his senses. And so he's going to go and try to make up with his wife. And so he brings her a young goat. He's like, hey, dear, you know, it's been a rough start. And before he can get to her, what happens is, is his father-in-law steps in and says, no, 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 you're, you're not talking to her. You know why? I gave her away to someone else. And Samson's like, what? You gave my wife away? He's like, yeah, I gave her on. I thought you hated her, but you can have the younger sister. And he's like, I don't want anything to do with that. And so he's frustrated. And so he decides that he is going to get revenge. Because when men feel betrayed, we like to get revenge. Isn't that true? We like to dream stuff up. And I used to do that all the time. And I, I was thinking about this time when I was in high school. What happened was is uh, my friends and I were over at my house and we were watching uh, Monday Night Raw. We were watching studio wrestling, manly thing. <laughs> we're like, you know, we're watching this studio wrestling. And what had happened was is someone toilet papered and shaving creamed all our cars in my driveway. I was like, who did this? You know what I mean? And they're like, someone has to die. That's what, no, that's what I'm thinking, but not really. But I'm like, someone has to pay for this. That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, who would have did this? And like, we're trying to figure this out. Like, who would have possibly did this? And then we have no idea. And all of a sudden, I'm looking out my front window at my parents' house, and all of a sudden, I see this Jeep drive by of one of my friends that's a girl, and I was like, oh my gosh, I think that's her Jeep. It was real slow, it, turned, it came up, it turned around and went real slow, and I was like, and I saw her, and I saw her, her and her friends were kind of laughing at it, I was like, boom, it's them. So I waited for her to get home, I call her on the phone, and I said, you're a dead man, I'm going to kill you by midnight. No, I didn't say that, but that would be really funny. No, I said, listen, I had no idea it was you, but I will exact my revenge on you. That's what I said, I am going to get you back. And so what I did was, is I went to her younger brother, and I gave him 30 pieces of silver. No, I didn't. I said, listen, I want your sister's car keys. That's what I want. I want you to get the, the spare set. And I don't know what I gave him, but he gave me her, her, her car keys. And so what happened was, is one day, I think that it was in summer gym or it was in the beginning of the school year, I got her car keys. And what I did was I opened the door and I toilet papered and shaving cream the inside part of her car. Which was way funnier, I'm not going to lie. So when she's coming down, you know, me and my friends, we're like little kids in the bushes, like, <laughs> like waiting for it. And she comes down, like, who did this? I'm like, and then I put my head out, and she's like, and she just gives me the look. But we're like, you know, we had just thought we'd won the Super Bowl. You know, we're so proud, like, woohoo! Because while we exacted our revenge, that's, that's what men like to do. And so Samson's like, I'm going to exact my revenge on me losing my wife. 
And only he comes up with something like, it is, it's, it's, it's pretty good, I'm not going to lie. So what he does is he goes out and he catches 300 foxes. There's some you know, Bible interpretations say 300 jackals. And he catches 300 of them, and it's harvest time for the Philistines. So all their grain and you know, all their grapes are ready and olives grew down there. And he starts taking these foxes and, and tying their tails together and putting a torch in with them as well. And then he, he ties up 150 of them, lights them on fire, and lets them go through the Philistines' grain fields and olive groves. And everything burns to the ground. So the Philistines now have lost all their crops. And they're furious. They're like, who did this? Who could have possibly did this? And they find out it was Samson who did this. And so they're like, oh my gosh, and why did he do it? It's because Timonite, that was the, the father-in-law, had given his wife away to someone. And so they go right to Timonite, and they go right to his wife, and they burn them to death. In fact, they burn their whole family. And so Samson's kind of wife is now dead. And Samson then, in verse 7, I'm sorry, in, in, in 15, uh, 15, 7, it says, Samson said, since you've acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I, might, I get my revenge on you. And it makes them more vengeful. He decides, listen, I am going to then exact my revenge more on the Philistines because they killed my wife. And so he starts fighting some of them, and he starts killing some of them. But I think he believes that he's going to get overpowered, so he retreats, and he hides in a cave. And it's in that, during that cave, he's, he's hiding in there, that his own people, the Jews, the Israelites, 3,000 of them come, and they say, Samson, you can't fight these Philistines. You burnt their, their crops to the ground. We need to hand you over to them. Otherwise, they're going to torture all your people. You, you can't do this, Phil. Please, please, the Philistines are going to harm us. Please, just surrender. And so he says, all right, just don't kill me yourselves. Hand me over to the Philistines. And so that's what they do. They, they, they're taking him. They have him wrapped up in, in ropes. And, and, and they're taking him to the Philistines. And right when he sees the Philistine people, it says that the power of God comes upon him. And he rips these ropes off like they're dental floss. And he takes the jawbone of a donkey and he kills a thousand men. It seems like superheroish, right? Like, like, okay, like imagine that in like an action film in like Marvel. He takes a thousand men and kills them with a the, with the donkey bone or with a jawbone, just crushing them all. And this is some of the talent, the ability that this guy had. And interesting enough, Samson says this in 1516. He says, says, with a donkey's jawbone, I made donkeys out of them. With a donkey's jawbone, I had killed a thousand men. And after he's done killing them, verse 18 and 19 says, because he was very thirsty, he cries out to the Lord. Samson only, only prays twice in these five chapters. He says, you've given your servant this great victory. Now must I die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up the hollow place in Leah, and the water came out, and Samson drank, and his strength was revived. He has this great victory. What's he do to God? God, am I going to die now of thirst? It sounds like my kids. Like you do everything. Now you're going to give me this victory, but now I'm going to die of thirst? And God hears his prayer amazingly. And water rushes out. And he drinks it. And he's revived. It's at this point that the, that the Jewish people are like, this guy's pretty talented. And so they make him their ruler, their judge over them for about the next 20 years. Chapter 16 is where I wanted you because, but we find out some other things about Samson that really are kind of strange. And he has more run-ins with women. Like in the beginning of chapter 16, he goes down to Gaza and he sleeps with a prostitute. He's having sex with this this woman. And the Philistines hear about it because Gaza is a Philistine, you know, town. And so they think, listen, 
you know, we have them walled in because at night they would shut the gates and the walled cities would have been seven, eight, nine, ten feet high and four, five feet thick and the gate would have been two, three feet thick and they're like, listen, we'll just apprehend him in the morning. Right? He's done sleeping with this, this prostitute in the morning. We'll, the whole town will rise up and we'll get him. There was just this problem in the middle of the night. He gets up and he goes to the city gate, which would have been, you know, bigger than our, you know, any of the entrances that you came in. It would have been, you know, much heavier. The walls would have been wooden and, you know, two, three feet thick. And he literally takes the whole doors and, and the handles and, you know, and the frame and he rips it off the back of the front of the gate. And he carries it on top of his head up to, his, to a town in Hebron and throws it up there. I mean, could you imagine if someone walked out today and ripped off the back door, both of them, just ripped out and carried out? We'd be like, that's unbelievable. That's like superhero-ish stuff. And that's what he did. And so the Philistines are frustrated with him, and they want to get him. Chapter 16, verse 4 and 5. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistine went to her and said, see if you can lure him into showing us the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him so we may tie him up and subdue you. Subdue him. Each of us will give you 1,100 shekels of silver. And so, he, they, again, he's in another bad relationship with a woman he shouldn't be. And they say, see if you can figure out the secret of his strength. And they thought it might have been like a ring or an armband or a bracelet or something on his clothes. They would have thought something was enchanted, that he had this super, you know, natural, superhuman ability. See if you could find it out, Delilah. And we'll give you 28 pounds of silver, about $7,000 in silver in this day and age. And so she goes to him, and most of us know this story, and says, Samson, tell me the secret. And she starts talking to him in verse 7. He says, Samson, if anyone ties me up with seven bowstrings that have never been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. If you tie me up with these bowstrings, I'll become as weak. And so what happens is Samson falls asleep. She ties him up. And she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are on you. He sits right up and he snaps him like it was no big deal. And she says, Samson, why wouldn't you tell me the truth? Kind of laughs it off. Verse 11, he said, she says to him, Samson, please tell me. Verse 11, he says, if anyone tie me up securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. Waits till bed, you know, and then Samson gets tied up with the ropes. Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you, and he sits right up and breaks the ropes yet once again. Now, I just kind of want to point this out. This is kind of obvious. But if you're in a relationship and you start telling these people these secrets and they start using them against you, you're probably not in a good relationship, all right? But most of us would say, yeah, that, that makes sense. But Samson keeps going. Verse 13, 14, he replied, if you weave the seven braids in my head into a fabric and a loom and tighten it with a pin, it will become as weak as any man. So he was sleeping. Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into a fabric and tightened it with a pin. And it says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are part. And he gets right up and rips it off and kind of laughs. Verse 15 and 16. Then she said to him, how can you say, I love you? You won't confide in me. How is the third time you've made a fool of me? And haven't you told me the secret of your great strength with such nagging and prodding day after day until he was sick to death of it? Men, how many of you? No, don't answer that question. Verse 17, then he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite dedicated to God from the mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Delilah puts him to sleep. 
And this is what I want to say too, and again, this is what the Bible alludes to but never full out says, Samson either has the absolute worst sleeping disorder in the history of the world that she's going to shave his head while he's sleeping, or he's doing what? He's doing a lot of drinking. And, you know, people argue about this all the time, really smart theologians argue about this, but he either has this worst, this terrible sleeping order, or he's passed out drunk and he's breaking his Nazarite vow, and then what happens? He loses all his hair. Then she says, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he thinks, I'll get up as normal in verse 20 and highlight this verse because, honestly, it's one of the saddest verses in the Bible. But it says, he awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. God left him. And I always get to this point in the story, and I get frustrated. Because I'm like, what a waste. This guy had all the ability in the world. He's like a superhero. He has all this talent. And what's he do? He uses it on selfish gains. To what? To get revenge. To get women. And I was like, if I had that talent, if I had that ability, God, the things I'd do for you. And I think all of us, when we see people, when they waste their ability, we get frustrated by it. Think about that person in high school, that person in college that you knew, that had all that natural ability. Maybe they were really smart. They were really pretty. They had all that natural sports ability, and they threw it away. And you're like, how could you do that? It frustrates us because it's like you had all that ability, and this is what you could have done. And I, and I see, and I, it reminded me of certain people, and I'm going to bring up some pictures. And people, go ahead, like, this person, like Michael Jackson, who was more talented than him? He had all the talent and the ability in the world, and what'd he do with it? And who could sing like Whitney? She has the most beautiful voice ever, and what'd she do? She threw it away. Kurt Cobain could have been a huge influence on a whole generation, and he killed himself. Mike Tyson could have been the absolute greatest boxer of all time, had it not been for his own self and self-inflicted harm. Tiger Woods, should have been the greatest golfer of all time. But of all the poor decisions he made, he threw it away. And Charlie Sheen, well, he's just Charlie. <laughs> he's a goofy guy, but he's, again, an incredibly talented actor. And what did he do with it? He wasted it. But what about us? See, let, let's, let's, let's be honest. Let's be vulnerable with ourselves. I want you to take a little inventory of your heart here. In the last month, what have you done with the talents and the abilities that God has given you for him? Just be honest with yourself. Start thinking, okay, what have I done in the last month with my talents and the abilities that God has given me to help further his kingdom? Let's walk back six months. In the last six months, what have you done with the talents and the abilities that God has given you to help further his kingdom? Start comprising things in your head. Start thinking about what have you done with your money, your resources, your time, your influence? What, what have you done to help further God's kingdom? Let's go back a full year. In the last year, how have you used God's talents and abilities to help glorify him? I want you to start comprising a list in your head. Okay? Now let's flip it on us. What have you done in the last month to help build your own kingdom? What have you done with your time, your money, your resources, your energy to build your own kingdom 
to build yourself up? What have you done in the last six months to help build your own kingdom with your time, your money, your resources? And what have you done in the last year to help build your own kingdom, to help further your career, to make yourself greater? I want you to compare your two lists. And if you're a lot like me, maybe, I wasn't real impressed with my list. I felt like I've been doing a lot more to build my own kingdom with the talents and abilities that God's given me than to build his kingdom. Because there's been times in my life where literally I've said, God, why don't you give me more ability? I've prayed this to God. God, if you give me more talent, if you make me a better preacher, if you give me the gift of healing in this center, if you would just give me this, God, I would further your kingdom. I would do so much good with it. You know, God usually answers that prayer for me whenever I pray that. What are you doing with the talents and abilities I've given you right now? What are you doing with them, Keith? Or I've prayed other times. Of like, I remember one time one of my students in my, in my youth ministry, they needed money. I was like, God, they need a couple thousand dollars. If you would just give that to me, I promise I would give it right back to them. I promise, God, you can provide. I know you can do this. I'm praying for it. To which God laid on my heart again, what are you doing with the money that I have given you, Keith? What are you doing with the resources I have? I'm like, I hate when you say things like that, God. Because <laughs> let's be honest. Really talented people, people with a ton of ability, super human, super natural ability, most of those people are those people that I brought up, those pictures are like Samson too. They use their ability for themselves. And they don't have to rely on God because they're really, really talented people, a lot of them. And they can get by doing their own things. And it's also another reason why I found in my own life with people who are incredibly wealthy, they don't really have to rely on God because they can rely on them for money as their security. And I think that's why sometimes God doesn't give us all the talent and money and ability that we want. It's for our own good. I want to introduce you to a principle that I had, and it'll make more sense as I talk about it. I call it the mind principle. And I, I named it after my, my middle son, Cohen. Cohen will be a hoarder one day when he grows up, much to his mother's demise. And so what happened when he was between one and two years old, he thought absolutely everything in the house was mine. He would walk around and he would see a sippy cup and go, mine. He would see a DVD, mine. He would see, you know, a book, mine. He would see anything, a controller, mine. A remote control, mine. My cell phone, mine. He would just walk around and go, mine, 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 mine. And many of you have kids, and I hope you don't have a mine kid, but my middle son, definitely a mine kid. Mine, mine, mine. He thought everything was his. And so one day we're at Target. And there was a ball, and it was actually an Elmo ball, kind of like this. And he's like, can, and he wanted it, so I bought it for him because I'm a sucker. Like, I'm trying to be a nice dad, you know how it is. And so <laughs> I buy it for him. And so I, we take it home, and we start playing in the backyard with it. You know, we're bouncing it with each other. And he, he's little. He's like one and a half, you know, two, and he's catching it. We're kind of kicking it back and forth to each other. And all of a sudden, right in the middle of the game, mine. And we walked off. <laughs> And I was sitting over here, and I was like, well, guess the game's over. Didn't know. Guess I dropped my water bottle, too. I said, I guess the game's over. I, I didn't know it was that. And I wanted to say to him, I wanted to look at him and go, hey, did you know that ball? We drove in my car to Target to buy it. We bought it with my money. 
You live in my house. You eat my food. I pay my taxes. It's not really yours, buddy. It's mine. Now, that's what I wanted to say to my two-year-old. But would he have grasped that? No, he was over here going, mine. This is all mine. And I wanted to say to him, buddy, I bought you this ball so we could play with it. I gave you this so that we could do it together. And sadly, I think, woo. Sorry about that. I think that's how a lot of us Christians live, is we go, mine. And God's over here going, no, no, no. I gave you that talent. I gave you that ability. So what? So we could do it together. So we could build God's kingdom together. We could do great things. And we go, mine. I want to build my kingdom with the talents and the abilities that you gave me. Be honest with yourself. Whose kingdom are you really building? And so what we do is we, we hold on to certain things. Like, God, I'll give you like 60% of what I have, but 40%, like there's just certain things that are mine, God. I, I don't want to give you that. And there's habits. There's bad, you know, traits that we have that we're just holding on to your own. This is mine, God. And God's going, no, no, no. I've given you talents. I've given you abilities, and I want to help you. Please come to me. And we're using our stuff to glorify us. And God's like, that's not why I gave you that. And many of you have prayed prayers of surrender like, God, I surrender my whole life to you. I'll give you everything. And many of you did that when you were, you know, a student in youth group. Or when you were younger, you said, God, I'm going to praise you all my life. You were baptized again. Say, God, you have everything. It's yours. And slowly what we've done is said, no, God, this is mine. And I'm holding on to this. And I think that's how a lot of Christians live. Verse 21, the Philistines seized Samson. They gouged out his eyes. They took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they sent him to a grinding grain in the prison. He loses his eyes. And go ahead and hit my next slide. And really what a grinding grain was, is it's a rather large round stone with another round stone on top of it. And he would be shackled to it, as you can see the bar. And he would just walk around this all day. Can you imagine how mundane that would be day after day after day after day? This is all you do as they mocked you, as they poked fun at you, because you used to be this great thing, and now you're just getting mocked at. And yet, when we use our own abilities to glorify us, we usually crash and burn like those people that I brought up, like Michael Jackson, Tiger Woods. And what ends up happening is we live our lives with honestly, like Samson, we have no vision. We're just wondering, like, what's the purpose of life and why am I here? And we're just wandering around. And life seems what? So mundane. You just keep going in motion in the same circles over and over. And you go, God, is this really the point of my life? Or what am I doing here? And your life has no purpose and you are in the dark. And there's some of you that live that way right now. That you're like, my life has no purpose. I'm just wandering aimlessly. <laughs> You're a lot like Samson. You're blind. It's because you've used your talents and abilities to glorify you, and you've crashed and burned. Samson, let's, let's wrap this up. Most of us know how this ends. He, he's in a Philistine temple, and they, they bring him out just to make fun of him, just to mock him. 
There's 3,000 Philistines that are at this temple, and they're giving praise to their God that we finally have conquered Samson. And he's tied up to, to one of the, the main pillars, and he's standing there, and he asks a boy to come close to him, and he says, listen, put my hand on the other pillar. And so he puts his hand on the other pillar, and then he prays his prayer. He says, sovereign God, remember me. Please, God, strengthen me just one more time, just one more time, and let me get blow to get revenge on the Philistine for my two eyes. And he pushes with all his might. The temple collapses, and 3,000 Philistines die that day. Many people have asked, why would God answer that prayer? Why would God answer the prayer for his suicide? And I don't want to debate that, but I'll tell you why he answered his prayer. It was because in 13.5, what I told you, the boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. That's why he answers the prayer. God gave him his ability back because he was using his ability to glorify him. That's the reason why he does it. But what about you? What are you doing with the gifts and the abilities that God has given you? Because God has given you the right abilities, the right talents for what you are supposed to have. And all it takes is a choice that you're going to use them for God. I want you guys to bow your heads. just want you to be quiet and still your heart and just be really honest. What are you doing with the abilities God has given you? Because you don't have to be a superhero. You just have to use the talents that God has given you. You don't have to be super talented like the people that I brought up here. You just have to be willing to say, God, this is what you've given me. I want to give it right back to you. And to be honest, that's all God wants. Like I was telling you with my son, I bought that and I gave it to him what? so we could do it together. That's why I gave him the ball. And that's why God gave you the abilities to say, listen, God, you're just saying, God, I, I want to use my abilities for you. That's, that's all he wants from you. And honestly, when you do that, that's when you have the most joy and freedom and peace in your life. But when you use all your abilities to glorify you, to build your own kingdom, that's when life becomes mundane and you feel like you're wandering around in the dark. So I'm going to pray. And I just want you to pray in the quietness of your heart if this applies to you. I'm going to pray two prayers. The first one is if you feel like you've given all your abilities to God, but then you've taken some of them back and you've said this is mine. I just want you to pray this prayer. God, I want to give you my ability back. I'm sorry for picking it back up and thinking it was mine. I surrender everything to you, my time, my money, my resources. I give it all to you. And if I want to pray for you, if you feel like you are wandering pointlessly in life, that you're like, I, I have no purpose, I have no joy, I, I, I just don't have anything. And if you've taken the abilities that God has given you and you've wrecked them, I want you to pray this prayer. Say, God, I am sorry for the decisions that I've made. I don't want to feel like I have no purpose. I don't want to feel like I'm blind anymore. I don't want to feel like I'm just going in circles and going nowhere. God, show me the true purpose to my life. I'm going to close this all in one final prayer. God, thank you so much for these people. 
And God, there is so much talent in this room, so much ability that you've given all of us. And God, the greatest gift, the only thing that you ever ask from us is that we just give it right back to you. There's nothing else that we could ever offer you, God, but there's nothing else that you would ever really want. You want us exactly the way we are, broken, hurt. And he says, listen, I love you. I want to help you. I'll clean you up and I'll take the abilities and you'll have a greater purpose in your life. That's what you're looking for. So God, I just pray for peace and joy within people and they would be filled with the Holy Spirit and they would do exactly what you want them to. And I pray this all in your precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. We'll see you guys next week.